there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, April 7th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and once again, we are in the IDS Center together here in Minneapolis, one day removed from the national semifinals, one day ahead of the national championship game. It's going to be Virginia against Texas Tech on Monday night inside U.S. Bank Stadium. Tip is scheduled for 9.09 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on CBS, it's America's most watched network. That's America's most awarded network. It is the network of stars. Virginia's a one-point favorite. The total is 118, and we will get to that game eventually. But I wanted to start with Saturday night's national semifinals. Virginia beat Auburn 63-62. Then Texas Tech beat Michigan State 61-51. So, Norlander, let's take these games in the order that they were played, and let's cut to the final 10 seconds of Virginia-Auburn. So, Virginia is down four points, 10 seconds left. Yeah. On the verge of elimination, once again. Then Kyle Guy makes a three, cuts it to one. Virginia foul, sends Jared Harper to the free throw line. He makes the first, misses the second, so it's a two-point game. It's 62-60, Auburn with about seven seconds left. Virginia has the ball. Auburn has fouls to give. So Samir Dowdy commits one. Virginia gets the ball back. It's into Jerome's hands. He double dribbles, but the refs miss it. Then they call a Bryce Brown foul with a 1.5 seconds left just before Ty Jerome misses like a heave at the bucket so Virginia gets the ball 1.5 seconds left gets it to Kyle Guy in a corner he's fouled shooting a three steps to the line makes all three boom 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 Virginia wins it 63 62 and that's about as wild as it gets Bruce Pearl looked sick I know you talked to him afterward how sick was he plenty sick Parrish you you just ran down there Uh, just absurd by the way this was also adding to this we got so much to break down it was a fast game. The first half took 39 minutes in real time, something absurd like that, and it was a clean game. So the irony of the ending was uh, you had Virginia up by 10. Like you th- We think it's, it's over. They're it's up 10 done. with 5.02 to play. It's done. So Virginia's going to win this game, and then Auburn goes on. I think it was a 14-0 yes. run after Ty Jerome picks up fourth, a fourth foul right. and is removed from the game. Yes. So pick it up foul. there. Yeah, terrible foul, by the way. And Jerome's, like, overreacting, but it was a bad foul. He admitted after it was a bad foul. Uh, he was their best player, their most consistent player, the steadiest player. DeAndre Hunter had a nice early start to the second half, which helped build that 10-point lead. Then Bryce Brown goes nuts, gets Auburn all the way back. Uh, stadium, stadium environment was incredible. And then you go from Virginia with the lead to, like, okay, Auburn's making this close to – Dear God, like we're going to be podcasting talking about Auburn in the national championship yep. game. Just absurd. Now, okay. The foul that wasn't called, Brown on Jerome, which leads to Jerome losing his dribble, which leads to Jerome picking up the double dribble. Let's stop right there. I'm courtside, behind the Virginia bench. Guster is for lovers. I don't see the double dribble. Wait. You were watching... Um, at the CBS Sports Network set, what did you see, and did you notice the double dribble in real time? I did not see it in real time. Okay. Um, it became a thing on Twitter quickly. Like, some people did see it in real time. Yo, I think that was a double dribble. But I think most people in the building didn't see it in real time. The refs obviously didn't see it in real time. And for the Virginia fans out there, it's undeniably a double dribble. Um Gene Steratore explained why uh, in postgame. But it was also caused by um, by Bryce Brown trying to right. give another foul, pushing Ty Jerome. So it's a little difficult. I think Ty Jerome earlier Sunday when talking about it said, I knew they could – said, yes, it was a double dribble, but I didn't think they could call a double dribble on me when they didn't call the first foul that created the double <laughs> dribble. And that's a very reasonable thing. Either way – um, it leads to Virginia finally getting a whistle and mm-hmm. or, or Auburn getting a whistle, depending on your perspective, uh, and, and puts the ball uh, you know, on the sideline with 1.5 seconds left. But this is true. Because refs miss calls all the time. But if they don't miss the double dribble, the game's over. If Auburn doesn't touch Ty Jerome at all, game's probably over because he did miss a desperation heave. Although, I've heard some people say they should have just, once he lost the ball, just let him go. But if you look, he got, he mm-hmm. was pretty close to that three-point line. Agreed. He was getting, it wasn't some, des- it became a desperation heave because he just threw it up trying to get a three-shot foul. 
But he was getting pretty close to that yes. three-point line and going to have a clean look if you just let him go. So I don't believe you can just let him go. And certainly you're trying to make all these decisions in real time. It's, it's, it's a scramble. Right. It's, it's difficult. But if, if Auburn doesn't foul him, there's a good chance that the game's over. Mm-hmm. There's about a million things that could have happened in these final few seconds that if Auburn doesn't do exactly what it did, the game is over. And yet the way it unpla- uh, unfolded is the way it unfolded. And Virginia ends up shooting uh, three free throws, specifically Cal Guy, three free throws. So where are you at on the double dribble? Hey, you cannot miss that in that spot because you literally decided who's playing in the national championship game by not blowing the whistle when right. Ty Jerome starts dribbling again after picking up his dribble. Or are you more of the mindset, listen, he would not have lost his ball if he would not have been fouled. Yeah. The real miss here is that the officials didn't call the first foul Bryce Brown committed, and anything that happened after that, whatever. Right, so that I'm should have called it, you missed it, you got to live with it, you accept that, but and that's part of the human element, so... Real quick on that sequence before we get to Guy and all that. Um, there wa- While there was a statement put out by J.D. Collins instead of officiating uh, for the foul on Guy, with no calls, there will no be official statements. I actually happened to add, before I realized, because uh, I was writing and doing stuff on deadline, before I even realized that Collins had put out the statement, because he's literally walking by me on press row to go right. back to his seat. I said... Hey, are you going to have something on the double dribble? I'm sh- I'm sure you've got something on uh, on the foul. He's like, no, uh, it was a, it, you know it's it's a judgment call, but it's also a no call. So there's no statement there. I understand why that is infuriating to Auburn fans, but everyone knows it was a double dribble. It was missed, and if there's, if there's a missed call or a no call, you're just not going to get a statement on it. I would disagree. I think you should acknowledge it. I disagree it. too. You I should th- acknowledge I think, it. And this was so big that I think you have to acknowledge yes. it. That you can even acknowledge we missed two. You know, we missed the first foul that led to the lost ball, that led to the double dribble. And so the truth is, yes, we should have blown the whistle on the double dribble, but we probably should have blown the whistle on the initial foul, and then it's a moot point completely. But I do think this is so big you need to say I something. I would do. I was. I would as well. Obviously, there's protocol in the rule book that prohibits it. I would, I would change that, but whatever. So um, also the, the, the action on the play, it looks like maybe Brown gets his hand on the ball, like a deflection, so that he, when he's picking it up, Maybe it's not a double dribble as well. I think that was a factor. Auburn's trying to space out its fouls because it had him to give to not allow Virginia to even get into an opportunity where it had the flow to get a good shot off. I thought that was fascinating. And then, GP, so since you were not in the stadium, it was the weirdest moment. So you have all this stuff uh, with Guy getting the three off. Mama Didi Akita actually told me in the locker room after. I got him real quick right before media availability ended. It was us talking one-on-one. So I don't know if this is – if this wound up being out there, I haven't had time to read other people's stories. But Diakite said that the action that they ran on that, the first thing was actually to go to him to a lob to put it in uh, easily and get to overtime. Guy was a secondary option. It goes to Guy. He gets fouled. I think, I think almost everyone acknowledges at this point. When you really, when you really look at the way that Kyle Guy was fouled on that shot, it's even more obvious than the Carson Edwards one versus Tennessee. It is interesting that we've had two plays like this in this NCAA tournament. But Diakite said, I saw the trajectory of the shot. I knew it wasn't going to be good. I thought we were done. Now, when that play happens, first of all, I hear a whistle. So I, I actually thought that he was going to the line to shoot three. I heard the whistle. But PA announcer says game's over. Auburn's going to the national championship. Oh, wow. There is kind of like quasi near silence in the stadium, and you're talking 77,000 people. Auburn starts celebrating – Pearl looks a little bit confused. Oh, and by the way, when Pearl, when Guy got fouled, Pearl lost his mind. Somebody told me this, and I, I wasn't in the stadium because we have to be on set over here, but somebody said Pearl was already walking to shake hands thinking he had just won. It was near it, but it wasn't that. Like, okay. he, it, it wasn't uh, – with, with, like, with Izzo, with, with, like, 13 seconds to go, Izzo actually started walking toward yeah. Beard. Like, the, the clock was out. It wasn't that. It was close, though. Uh, but the amount of just anger on Pearl's face because he is so close. Like, he – Auburn should be playing. Probably in the never game. be closer. Pro- probably not. Like if we're if we're betting, uh, fine coach. But uh, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out. I know, but you'll but probably, most coaches never get that close to a Final Four. That's, that's right. my point. That's right. Um, so DKT is freaking out, and then when he hears the whistle, he goes. That's, the, the stadium's confused as hell for about five six seconds. Officials got to get things in order. Make sure, by the way, he was taking a three. Right. The monitor view. Um, 
on a personal note, I had written about 500 words in the previous six minutes that was Auburn going to the title game. Just one of those, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I've been just trying to lock in. If you if you caught me, if you, if when the broadcast caught me, it was my deadline stress face as I'm, like, right behind Tony Bennett. It was one of those things where you're like, good God, how is, the, how is everything changing so aggressively, swinging the other way like this? Had no issue with the foul call. I thought Guy was going to hit all three. He was eager. See, I don't know what the camera is and isn't catching. He gets fouled. They're just trying to decide it. Before we know he's taking three, Guy's already at the line. He's there for about a second. Then he walks away. And he's like, okay, whatever. So then he takes the first one. One dribble, shot, cash. Next one. One dribble, shot, cash. Dikite said he couldn't even look at him on the second one because he was just so nervous and sick to his stomach. Then the timeout comes. Right. Again, I don't know what the camera catches. But the team starts huddling. We went to break. Okay, so it goes to break. It felt it, like American Idol, like you know when they, oh. they and 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 we'll have the what however American Idol works, right. I don't know, but like and we'll have whatever right after this break. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It was because normally I was talking to some of the my bosses about yeah. how that all. Normally they would stay there, um, but they went to break, and so it was like this amazing TV moment. Like when we come back. Will Virginia play in the national championship game or are we going to overtime? Cow guy will shoot a free throw to decide it. It was really pretty dramatic television. Amazing. So during that timeout, Guy looks for a towel. He's kind of pacing around while the team is huddling. Now, he is not isolating himself, but he is like he's not standing. He's kind of walking around. He's moving a little bit. He eventually goes over to the huddle, but he's kind of on the outskirts. Then he kind of gets in there a little bit. Ty Jerome told me afterward that I didn't say anything to him. We didn't ignore him, but it was almost like a no-hitter situation with the pitcher. Like, we just don't want to – even though they were they were safe at that point, one more. That, but that, that, change, that changes the whole free throw. It does. That if you, you know – you suddenly know, if I miss this, we still had overtime. Yes. It's a little bit like kicking a game-winning field goal when it's tied. Yeah. It, it, it's, and it's still not easy, but it changes everything. And by the way, um, he's an 82% free throw shooter. So people go, oh, well, of course he'd go up there and knock down all three. He's a great free throw shooter. Even if – and my buddy Jason Wexler, who's a Virginia grad, um, runs the business side of the Memphis Grizzlies, really sharp guy, he tweeted last night, and I retweeted it earlier today, um, even if you're an 82% free throw shooter, you only have like a 55% chance of knocking down three in a row. You're still likely to do it, but it's, it, it's not a guarantee. Yeah. And when you combine – the pressure involved. Yep. And I thought it was interesting, Kyle, after the game. I, don't, I, I think he was talking to Tracy. Yeah, this was a, a, was great, a great quote. quote. Yeah. He said, uh, I'd like to tell you I knew I was going to knock him down, but I was terrified. And I, that's the way I would feel. I'm always interested in – because there's some people who, like, want – they live for that moment. Like, I can't wait to get to the – I would be terrified. And yeah. he acknowledged I was terrified. But he – it's a big, super impressive what he was able to do. The way he's wired is also interesting. I mean, he's had the Twitter avatar – of the picture of him bent over after losing to UMBC. He has taken, like, every single question handled amazingly. And he's got, like, a confidence about him um, that's really impressive, Kyle Guy. He was the right person, the right guy, pun intended, to be shooting those shots. And then he hits the third. And then just to kind of wrap up this whole sequence, there's .6 on the clock. for Like, the booing from Auburn – like, there were, like, four massive waves of boos from Auburn fans who showed up in pretty uh, in pretty good amounts there. But it's like, with the foul, as he's shooting the foul shots, out of the timeout, after that, then it's the play. Can you possibly put off something magical? No. Brown takes the shot, doesn't f- fall short. Also, Bryce Brown. I didn't, I didn't see this happening in real time, but then I saw the photo. He's making the choking sign oh, behind yeah, I saw, I saw. Kyle Guy on the foul. Like, yes. And then, like, you – there was the – not the memes, but the side-by-side photos of Brown doing that guy. And, that, like, it's the, it's the image of that, and then Guy, like, easily cashes all three. And then it's the image of him on the ground by himself after the shot doesn't fall. When that happens, by the way, Stephen Pearl, he loses it, goes after James Breeding, who was the official uh, that made the call. And that was, a, that was a quick thing. Then the booze rained down again. Guy and, and Bennett do the interviews. Virginia's going nuts. They're off the court. But then Guy doesn't get off the court for another, like, 90 seconds. So he's the last one affiliated with Virginia off the floor. And the boos that were raining down in the building were almost as loud as the cheers as when Tariq Owens came back in the Texas Tech game. GP, it's incredible how these big moments in sports, not just college basketball, but specifically for this podcast purposes – on big stages, national semifinals, 
title games. We are get, we always get things we haven't seen before. I can't even fully describe how weird it felt in the stadium when the foul was called on Guy. Virginia escapes another one. The fact that it got out of the Elite Eight and the national semifinals under those circumstances, it does not feel like an exaggeration to say, like, it is a 1 in 10,000 proposition that you would win both of those games when you looked at where they were, you know, with with a second to go in each and, and, and the fact that they, they were able to They, do they were trailing on the scoreboard with less than a second to play in back-to-back games. And they won both. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. They, I mean, again, if you pause it, like when the ball's in Diakite's hand against Purdue, when the when when Cal Guy is shooting free throws, they're technically trailing with less than a second to play in back-to-back games, and they win both games. Um, and 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 you know and. And so I mentioned today on CBS Sports Network, I was like, they've gotten lucky in back-to-back games. You know, and it doesn't mean they're not great. It just right. means they – but they have gotten lucky. And even I think Tony Bennett would acknowledge that. And some Virginia fans were pushing back a little bit on social media. But, like, it's true. Against Purdue, uh, Kia Clark had the ball on the – in his own backcourt on the three-point line <laughs> with three seconds to play and made an amazing pass. I said this today. If Virginia goes on and wins the national championship, that pass will be the play of the tournament. I yeah. think. Or, or at least the decision of the tournament. Because how many guys make that decision? Well, we were talking about it on set, and we had a national championship winning point guard, Khaled el And Brent Stover asked Khaled earlier today, like, if you had that ball, what would you have done? Would you have made that pass? And Khaled was like, of course. And then he said, but I might have just took a couple dribbles and shot it. Most people just take a couple dribbles and shoot it because you think that's your only option. Yeah. And yet he, as a freshman, had the um, – I don't know, the, the presence to, to be able to make that pass and then DKT has to knock down the shot. It was amazing. But that's lucky. That's just lucky. And then, I don't care, if you're down, um, if, 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 Ty, if Ty Jerome loses the ball with like five seconds to go, mm-hmm. for you to then win that game in regulation, you are lucky. And it doesn't, you know, it won't matter if they win the whole thing. The banner is going to just say 2019 national champions, but – um, really, really fortunate. I, I've said for a while, whether you talk to Billy Donovan or John Calipari, Bill Self, any of the guys who have won national championships, they'll tell you that somewhere along the way, there there have been teams that just rolled through everybody. Um, you know, I, I think 2009 North Carolina did. Um, Villanova last year basically did. Yeah. But most times there's somewhere along the way you have to get lucky. But I don't know that you have to get this lucky this often. Virginia's <laughs> been very lucky very often. And uh, not to mention they were trailing at halftime of their round of 64 game, right? Yep. So, um, whatever. They they did it. You know, the, ultimately they got done what they needed to get done. But I thought to have two massive either calls or non-calls in the final seven seconds was pretty incredible. And Gene Steratore, I thought, was like the star of the show last night because on Twitter, because most people don't know the rules, most basketball fans just do not know the rules, um, there was a debate going on. Was Cal Guy fouled or not? And for every person who would say, of course it's a foul, there was another person screaming, no, it's not. And for Gene to be able to sit down, and basically for anybody who doesn't think they're smarter than a guy who refereed games for a living, understands the rule book better than the guy who referees games for a living, was able to end that debate on live television. Like, and here's what happened. Yeah, It was an A to B jump. Uh, people acted like Cal Guy the ball left his hand and then he got hit it's just not what happened no, he, yeah. he still had the ball and he got hit mm-hmm. it's a foul undeniably a foul and for gene to be able to explain that and also explain the ty jerome double dribble and acknowledge hey my guys got it right here i know they're not his guys but they are his friends right my guys got it right here and yeah they missed it here i thought it was really good television yeah i can't obviously can't speak to that because i didn't see that live in real time but that was uh that was a. Uh, incredible moment from what I've heard. I want to, before we move on to the next game, I want to mention three other quick things. One, I tweeted it out on Sunday, an incredible sequence. Anthony McLemore, 66% shooter. To get Auburn up five, he keep he kept repeating for Chuma, for Chuma, for Chuma. Makes two foul shots. The, the actual directing by CBS, I'm not sure who was in charge of that, was unbelievable theater to catching Bruce Pearl and McLemore on the line. And then, Guy even hit. He has to hit the three beforehand to even get us to that point. He right. hits that, and then Harper, a really good foul shooter, speaking to what you said earlier, he only goes one for two, which even allows Virginia to be in that spot. It just the sequence of events was incredible. Hey, I, that's what I tweeted last night. It was an incredibly 
bad sequence of events uh, for Auburn to end up in the situation that it ended up in. And, yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of former coaches, and they all have stories. You know, you talk to Steve Lapis, you talk to Pete Gillen. They've they've all got a game. Yes. Or a, a few, but it's certainly a game. We were in the Elite Eight. We had this game won. I didn't get to – we lost it. I didn't get to a Final Four, and now I'm sitting here having never been to a Final Four. Like, Pete Gillen has that story. And, you know, I don't want to say it bothers them for the rest of their lives because they're living great lives. But it's never it's never out of their head. They, like I bet you Pete thinks about that almost every day. And this one was even more difficult to get over, I would think, because so many things have to go against you for Auburn to lose the game, and they just went against them. And I, I, I hope this isn't true. I hope this isn't as close as Bruce ever gets to a Final Four. But, again, very good coaches don't get to Final Fours, lots of them. And when you are that close – and really, if that whistle just doesn't blow, it should have been blown. But if it doesn't blow in the final second, you're you're there. I I, I got in the elevator this morning to come back to set, and coincidentally, it was two Auburn fans, uh, a husband and a wife, that got in with me, and you know they walked in the elevator, and I said to my condolences, and they said, yeah, that was a rough one. That's a tough way to lose, man. Tough way to lose. So uh, Virginia's going to play on Monday night. The opponent is going to be Texas Tech because Texas Tech beat Michigan State 61-51 on Saturday night. We're going to get into that game next, but first, check this out. Hey, Ion College Basketball Podcast listeners. One of our favorite times of the year is upon us, the Masters, a tradition unlike any other. And CBS Sports is where you can get direct streaming access on your phone or computer to live coverage all day for each round of the tournament. The coolest part is you can choose between four different streams, whether you want to watch the featured groups of the day, follow the field as they come through on Amen Corner or Holes 15 and 16, or see top golfers getting ready for their round on the practice range. We've been looking forward to this week since the last green jacket was awarded, so you really don't want to miss a second of the action. The best part is that it's entirely free. No need to pay a subscription or have an expensive cable package to watch. So download the CBS Sports app on your phone or visit cbssports.com backslash Masters First Cut today. And while you're there, be sure to tune in all week to watch our friend Kyle Porter on CBS Sports HQ, our free 24-hour sports news network, where he'll be reporting live from Augusta National all week long. So the final score in the second game on Saturday night was Texas Tech 61, Michigan State 51. And I don't want to say the game was never in doubt, but Texas Tech probably did control it basically from start to finish. Matt Mooney finishes with a season-high 22 points, knocked down one three-pointer after another in the second half. And no surprise, Texas Tech did it the way Texas Tech has been doing it with an elite-level defense. They held Michigan State to 32% uh, shooting from the field. Michigan State entered the game shooting 49% from the field. And so that's three straight games against elite-level competition. Uh, nobody's been able to do anything against Texas Tech. Let's back up to the Sweet 16. They play Michigan. Michigan enters that game, coached by John Beeline, of course, shooting 45% from the field, get held to 33% from the field. Next up, Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Gonzaga enters the game, coached by Mark Few, another brilliant offensive mind, shooting 53% from the field. They shoot 42% against Texas Tech. And then Michigan State enters 49% from the field, shoots 32%. And so Chris Beard has the Red Raiders in the national championship game for the first time in school history. It's a weird thought, but now something that I don't think is weird. <laughs> Texas Tech playing for a national championship uh, for so long seemed illogical, but it speaks to Chris Beard's ability as a coach in such a short amount of time, by the way, to have just skyrocketed up within his industry that he's been able to do this. What you touched on there is the difference between the teams in the title game. Virginia has needed absurd luck to get this far. Texas Tech has been great in every game. No luck whatsoever. Every game. They never needed to pull something out. No. It, they have been in control basically every minute of every game they play. They have. The only drama that came in this game was an injury. We'll get to that in a minute. And Matt McQuaid had a three from the corner that was a great open look when Michigan State was down by three. I think it was 55-52. I don't have the play-by-play -play in front of me. But there was like less than two minutes to go. He misses it. He makes it. It's a tie game. 
maybe things change. Instead, misses it two possessions later is when Culver hits the triple at the top of the key, which was, if not a dagger, as close that you can get to it at that point. That's what separated him late. Culver, in his game, like DeAndre Hunter in his game, came up in the second half big time. Now, Culver waited until the final three minutes of the game. Hunter came out of the, uh, out of the break uh, in the Auburn game and actually was, was pretty important to uh, Virginia establishing some separation there. But Culver, Mooney's had a game-high 22, hit four three-pointers. Yeah, four. Three of them came in the second half. It yes. was his first 20-point game since January 12th. Wow, what a time to step up. And for as good as Tech's defense was, GP, Mooney's offense was necessary. Like, I'll say this. Tech, Tech has just rolled through this tournament, responded to losing to West Virginia in the Big 12. And by the way, if Texas Tech wins Monday night, it will become the first team ever to lose its first conference championship game or conference tournament game the way they did and win the national championship. That's right. never happened before. Um, but if Texas Tech plays the way it did against Michigan State just from an offensive perspective, I actually think Virginia would have the upper hand there. Virginia's got the better offense. We'll get to the preview on that in just a little bit. But I was impressed. I'll openly admit, by the way, that I had to write about the Virginia stuff. So I watched none of the first half. I was sitting I was sitting courtside, but I watched none of that first half. And also, it wasn't like... Hey, hey, by the way, congrats on not watching that. 23-21 <laughs> after 20 minutes. <laughs> just, I, felt, I felt lucky. I looked up and I was like, all right, it's a two-point game. I'll, I'll lock in here. Now, second half... Um, Tariq Owens goes down, looks bad. I don't know how GP did it look bad on TV. Yes. It did look bad. It looked like it could have been an ankle and a knee. Okay. I did not expect him to I did not expect to see him run back into the stadium, you know, ten minutes later. Run back into the stadium. He gets hurt. He walks he they don't even get a cart for him. He <laughs> we're in a football stadium. He walks back off the court. And, and, by the way, again, it's an elevated court, so it's not even like a typical thing where, like, you'd walk off the court and you're on the same level. No, he has to, like, go down steps, take the long route, but he must have said he was feeling okay, and then I don't know how long he was gone. I want to say it was at least 15 minutes in real time. Mm -hmm. When he came back out, first of all, he was running, and the way – I would walk out, by the way. I would strut just, out. Just, yeah. Just, I would strut out. There's no way I would no, have no, been – No, no, you wouldn't. You'd actually put yourself in a wheelchair. I would have been in a cart. I yeah. then had to cart me out yeah. and then cart me back, yeah. and then I'd have played again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you would have wanted no business with any late-game game clinching free throws. But um, the wave of Texas Tech fans realizing that he was coming back out, it was just a cool moment in the stadium because it was like – it was soft, 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 loud, 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 building just this big roar. Texas Tech fans, by the way, I think they had the most fans in the building. I think they even outnumber Michigan State fans. Extremely impressive by Red Raider Nation there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, of course, and Travis Kelsey, who apparently uh, cameras caught Kelsey looking looking like he was having a good time at some point <laughs> late in the game. I don't know. but uh, I think his reputation is a, a man who has a good time, so he, that makes He was sense. wearing some sort of Zubaz deal. on. The, I don't know what was going on there. But, uh, but congrats on Texas Tech. You move along. Michigan State. I mean, I, I wrote a quick column. To me, the one of the the two or three takeaways from the game was, Tom, I, I guess in light of the defeat, I was like, you know what? I know what Tom Izzo was talking about here. I know what he was saying. He wants that second national championship for self-validation. Now, I still don't need it for him, but he is now 2-6 and six in national semifinals. He has now oddly become as attached to the notion that he loses on the, on the first Saturday of the Final Four as the fact that he's won a national championship. I'm not taking him down a peg at all. You got to get there to be two and six. You got to make it eight times, you know? But it is become a little bit of a weird thing that Michigan State just, it's just bumping up against something here and keeps falling short. This was the only time, as we have mentioned on a couple previous podcasts, that Michigan State lost in the national semifinal when it was the favored slash and or higher seeded team. That was the case here. Michigan State was the betting favorite. Didn't come through there. Ran up against what his rating as the best defense in at least 18, 19 years. So there's no great shame in it, but it is uh, it has just become a thing, right? It's become a thing with Izzo. Makes Final Fours, Hall of Famer, um, plenty of respect. But I bet you Michigan State fans are just – there's a level of frustration that's setting in. It's like we're not even getting to the title game. We did it right. once since we won it. And by the way, we ran up against that epic, awesome – 09 UNC team where we almost had no chance anyway, even though the game was played there in Detroit. Had no chance. And I, I remember Tom speaking before that game, the, sun, the day before the game. And he was as candid as you could be. He said, listen, if they play well, we're not going to win. Like, they're, they're better than us. And, you know, he said all the things. He said they have better players than us. They have a better coach than us. 
and I, you know, I, you got to say, you better say they got a better coach than us if you're going to say they got better players than us. Right. Like, yeah. He's like, he's like, if they play well, we won't win. But we have a knack for, for making people not play well. And so we're going to hope that we can, we can play well, maybe make them not play so well, and then maybe we'll have a shot. And then, of course, they go out and get beat by 20, right? But he, banging on Tom for being now one for eight when getting to the Final Four in yeah. terms of national championships. You said two and six in the national six, semifinals? Three and seven overall if you include national semifinals gotcha. and, and title games. To me, that's like when people reference LeBron James' record in the finals. Good, good, good parallel. They say they say you know, LeBron's three and six in the finals. That's okay. It means he's been there nine times. That's amazing. Yep. And and okay, he's three and six. Do you know how many times LeBron James has had the favored team when the NBA Finals started? I would say two, three it's absolute two. tops. It's yeah. two. The answer's two. So if you look at it from a when were you supposed to win it, when were you not supposed to win it perspective, he's overachieved in the NBA Finals, even if he's three and six in NBA Finals, and. Same thing with Tom Izzo, I, I think. He's never, as you pointed out on the last podcast, been favored to win the championship when the Final Four started. Been there eight times, has never been the favorite, but he has won it once. And so I, I don't want to say what do you want because I know what you want. You want more, but you're not supposed to have more. And if you just look at this Final Four that we just played, I know they were the two seed and the biggest basketball brand here. Who's the lottery pick on Michigan State's team? Don't have one. Who's the first round pick on Michigan State's team? At this point, don't have one, but Virginia's we'll got more pros. Texas Tech's got more pros. We could debate Auburn, I guess. But he at, he probably had the third best roster at the Final Four. I don't know, maybe second best. But certainly if you start going high in talent. Good question. I don't know. Would you agree Virginia's got the best roster? I would definitely agree Virginia has the best roster. Virginia's got the best roster. Um, we could debate the rest of it, but Texas Tech's got a lottery pick. Virginia's got a lottery pick. I think Ty Jerome's also going to play in the NBA. Probably two first-round draft picks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that Michigan State has a first-round draft pick NBA player. And so I will never, and maybe I'll just be in the minority for the rest of my life, I will never look at Tom Izzo's record in the Final Four and go, yeah, that guy could get there, but when he got there, he got embarrassed. When he got there, he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. he, he got there eight times. That's amazing. That's, it's overachieving for him to get there eight times. And when he gets there, he usually loses to a team he was you know, supposed to lose to or a team that's – he certainly wasn't supposed to win the net. We've established that. Yeah. They've never been the favorite in eight Final Fours. Yeah, college basketball is unique in this. I don't even think college football can match us even with the college football playoff existing now. Because of the game inventory every season, like – Making the Final Four is, in and of its, it's, it's what you hang banners for. Sure. You know, it's, it's not winning the national title, which is always a big deal, but there, it, it is rarefied error. I mean, I wrote that almost every coach would sacrifice 15 years of his career to go once. Izzo has been there eight times. I mean, it's just, it's just absurd what they've been able to do. And, um, you know, I, credit to Izzo. It's, it's just become like a little bit of a weird thing. Like you, you get there, which is huge. And I think, well, let's, let's wrap it this before we get to a uh, uh, tech and, and Virginia um, over on. So Izzo 64 over under 0.5 final four appearances for the rest of his career. I will still, it is hard to get to a final four. I will still go over. I think Tom Izzo between now and the day he retires, will still make it one more time. And that is by the way, could like, be next year, by the it way, could, yeah, I, you're you're actually damn right about that. Yeah. Right. Could be next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just never going. I think it is way more. Im I think to, if, to focus on what happened in that second semifinal Saturday night, uh, if you're going to focus on the right thing, focus on Chris Beard has Texas Tech in a national championship game as opposed to Tom Izzo lost another national semifinal because uh, if you get there eight times – particularly eight times at a school that's not North Carolina, at a school that's not Duke, at a school that's not Kentucky, um, you're doing high-level work. And I know it eats at Tom, but um, if you're a fan being critical, you are, you're you probably staring at the wrong stuff. So the national championship game is now set. It's going to be played on Monday night in U.S. Bank Stadium, and it's going to be a Texas Tech against Virginia 
The game's going to tip off at 9.20 Eastern. You can watch it on CBS, America's Most Watched Network. It's America's Most Awarded Network. It's the network of stars. Okay. Texas Tech is the three seed. Virginia is the one seed. Virginia is a one-point favorite, and the over-under, like I said, is 118, <laughs> which is – it started at 117 too. It's, so I guess No, I think it started at 120 and got bought, Oh, really? Got, and got oh, bought, okay. got I think it was at 120, opened at 120, went down to 117, now back up to 118. Uh, <laughs> low scoring game. The number is just absurdly low. We are probably going to get a, a low scoring game and uh, we could take this a million different directions, but one of the things I said last night on CBS Sports Network is sometimes we we now know this. And, 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 we're going to have a coach win a national championship for the for the first time. A school win a national championship for the first time. Um, this is this is all a week and a half ago. There was a chance we could have a Duke Kentucky Duke North Carolina national championship game. Blue bloods, big brands, lottery picks. This isn't that. DeAndre Hunter's a lottery pick. Jarrett Culver is a lottery pick. But these two teams are not traditional basketball powers. And yet one of them is going to win a national championship. And sometimes when a team wins a national championship, you go, well, it was because of that player or it was because of that roster. You know, 2003, that's Carmelo Anthony's national championship. Kimball Walker's Mm -hmm. national championship. Um, You look at the 2012 Kentucky, and I don't say this to take away from any coach's accomplishments, but, like, you had Anthony Davis. Even the Florida team that won back-to-back, a lot of it was Billy, but those guys coming back, that was it was their story. Sure. My point is this. I don't care who wins the national championship, Texas Tech or Virginia. The reason whoever wins it wins it is going to be because of the guy on the sideline. Undeniably. It won't be because of a player. This is going to be a coach-created national championship. Do you agree with that? Uh, largely, yes. Although, I mean, if we have an absurd performance from a player, that'll that'll kind of change the tune a little bit. What but I mean yes. is that no player – is taking these programs where they're at no one is carrying them right because like jerome has been the most steady he's been the steadiest for virginia hunter's the best player but but i hear what you're saying whoever you think's the best player on either team yeah take them out replace them with a whoever these teams would still have a chance to get here because of the guys on the sideline this is a this is a national championship game between high-level coaches who get more out of their rosters than what their rosters suggest they ought to get. Yeah, that statement is accurate. Uh, it will be fascinating. This is also the first national championship game in 40 years since Michigan State versus Indiana State that featured two programs in the national championship game for the first time. Um, I think that it sets up to be a great game because you know what? Both games on Saturday were low scoring, but they weren't unwatchable. They weren't UConn Butler. Um, they weren't these offensive explosions, but they were riveting watches. I think we've got a really good chance because of the amount that we're probably going to have a 58 possession game. Yes, it's entirely possible that Texas Tech shows up again, and then we're talking about, and I'm writing about the fact that Texas Tech just completed uh, the most historically defensively dominant season ever, and his tournament run was just awesome. But maybe Virginia is able to, to score from three exhibit the fact that it has the best offense ever under Tony Bennett, shoot well from deep, and be the one team that picks off Texas Tech. I think we're going to have a good game. I think we're going to have a close game. The points you make about the coaches are correct. If you if you eliminate the, the history attached to the great coaches in the game and you simply said, Beard and Bennett, all right, 12, 12 average college basketball players, they were, would right now, if you talk to any coach in the profession, they are top ten coaches. They are both. They are both there. How about they this? didn't need this to validate it, but it cements it. How many other coaches? And I don't take anybody off the table. Take the guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. How many other coaches could get Virginia in this spot or get Texas Tech in this spot? It's low. I mean, it's a very it's, low number. There, uh, there might be a few. Uh, uh, frankly, I think Izzo is one of them. I mean, I, well, but, uh, yes. And, and the other thing that I think is important to point out is that. Sometimes you'll get a team in the final, in the title game, even, and you'll go, "Whoa, boy! I didn't expect this team to be here." These teams have been good all year. They're both in the top five at Ken Palm right now. There's nothing fluky about this championship game. It's not the one I predicted. It's not the one you predicted. Although you got half of it right, um, but there's nothing fluky. These have been, I say it all the time. Usually, there's about six to eight teams 
maybe eight to ten that can realistically dream of a national championship. And according to the computers, these have been two of those teams for much of the year. They have, and um, I wonder just in terms of benefit for Virginia as a staff and as a program. Now, they don't have – this isn't an elite – it's a very, very good Virginia defense. I would say it's not elite. We've seen we, last season's Virginia defense was actually well, it's fifth elite. in defensive it's, efficiency. It's, it's really good. Texas Tech has the best defensive efficiency in the history of Ken Palm, and, and that's a guarantee. Like Virginia could probably score 114 points, and that still would be the case in this game. So it's going to finish. It, well, t Texas Tech's defense right now adjusted uh, defensive efficiency number is 83.3, 2.9 points better than anybody else. I mean, it's a lock. So. Um, I wonder if the fact that Virginia has been such a good defensive team, combined with the fact that it's the best offense Bennett's ever been able to manage to put together, winds up being a big-time factor in this game. GP, I'm excited. I, I understand, like, I'm sure there are plenty of diehards listening to the podcast that will love the game no matter what, and we've got some casuals. Thank you for sticking with us in the tournament. Be sure to subscribe all year long and any podcast uh, subscription service that you prefer. Five stars, nice comments. Five stars and nice comments. Mostly about me. Well, you know, we can, we can throw in mostly uh, about me. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, we, 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 this is not the game that's going to draw. It's not. How about this? I was talking to somebody last night. I'll keep it as vague as that. Yes. Given the championship game we could have had heading into the Sweet 16, so let's just go as big as it could get. Either Duke, Carolina, or Duke, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with Texas Tech, Virginia, and I was told that you could expect the audience to get slashed by about 30%. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, because, again, you don't expect to have Texas Tech in this spot. It's not a draw nationally. I get all of that. But the coaching matchup is terrific. You have lottery picks on the floor. It won't be – it will not be an 81-77 game. It'll probably be a 59-56, 59-54. Hey, do you think you've got to get to the 60s to win it? I don't. No, I don't. No, I. I don't think you have to hit sixty to win a game. I tell you what, though, it would not be good for college basketball if the losing team didn't crack fifty, and that actually might be a possibility in this one. Oh, I could see something like fifty-seven, forty-nine. I could see that too, um, but I do think we've got a really good shot at a really good game. I hope that Hunter and Culver, the NBA guys, step up and play well. I hope that we see uh, Kyle Guy continue to 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 play well in light of his earlier NCAA tournament struggles. And Ty Jerome, he's just a killer. I I hope he shows up well. Um, Matt Mooney. Davide uh, Moretti, just all these guys. If Owens can play or not, we'll come wrap up with this as we uh, as we close out the pod. Beard was asked for an update on Tariq Owens today. Uh, do you have a status update on Owens? No, that was it. No follow-up questions at the press conference. Um, I'm going to blindly guess that he is going to play. He walked off and ran back afterward. Now, maybe day after, swelling, all that. We still, as we record this podcast, we're 27, 28 hours still out from tip. My guess is that he plays. If he doesn't, I give Virginia an even bigger edge. I'll just get to my prediction here. It's no shock. I've been telling you in my power rankings, on the podcast, on HQ, all season long, Virginia's the best team in college basketball. I know Texas Tech has been the better team in this tournament, undeniable. I will still ride with Virginia. I am not bouncing off of this. I'll take UVA 59, Texas Tech 56. I think it's interesting that Ken Palm projects a three-point Virginia win. I did not know that. Okay. But the odds makers have put it at Virginia minus one. So they've moved it a little bit the other direction. And that's based on, I think, this. If you want to say Virginia's better than Texas Tech, fine with me. Um, if you want to say Virginia's more talented, fine with me. Virginia has not been more impressive in this tournament than Texas Tech. Texas Tech has been the most reliable, most consistent, most overwhelming basketball team in this tournament. And it's all at the defensive end of the court. They have, in the past three games, picked up wins over the teams ranked second, third, and sixth at Kinpom and have demoralized each of them. Yep. It's Gonzaga, which is number two at Kinpom, Michigan State, which is number three, Michigan, which is six. What that means, and it might ultimately mean nothing, but it, it, it means this is true. Texas Tech, in this NCAA tournament, has already beaten three teams better than any team Virginia's beaten in this NCAA tournament, according to Ken Palm. From a seed perspective, Virginia has beaten a 16, a 9, a 12, a 3, and a 5. Now they're playing another 3. They might win a national championship without having to play a 1 seed or a 2 seed, mm -hmm. which you don't have to apologize for. But it is interesting that they have not had to go through the teams we thought they'd have to go through to get to this place or to win a national championship if they do it. Um, 
some other things that I think are worth pointing out is that I think we both agree Texas Tech's good enough to do this. Oh, you're, I'm, you're not yeah. picking them, but oh, yeah. I'll just tell you I am. I picked Texas Tech to win the game. Okay. Um, if they do it, it will be in a totally non-conventional way because they're 28th in offensive efficiency, obviously first in defensive efficiency, but 28th in offensive efficiency. Do you know how many times in the past 17 years, which is the Ken Palm era where the data is available, how many times in the past 17 years somebody outside of the top 20 has, in offensive efficiency has won a national championship? UConn twice. UConn once. Okay. They were 39th in offensive efficiency in 2014. That's that fluky team. Besides that, everybody's been inside the top 20. Now, they've landed there, remember. Yeah, but still, like Texas Tech ain't getting inside the top they're not, 20 they're no not matter what happens to. tomorrow right, night. But right, right, right. They can win the game. They, right. they, they, they can they, win the game. They land in outside the top 20. They will, yes. So only one time in 17 years has a team outside of the top 20 in offensive efficiency won the national championship. What's even crazier is that in 12 of the 17 years, so all but five times, the team's been inside the top 10. So Texas Tech is way off of that mark. Um, but you've got to give them a realistic chance because of that defense. I mean, I'll just keep it as simple as I can keep it. If you can frustrate Michigan the way it frustrated Michigan, and not just Michigan, but John Beeline coach Michigan, and then do it to Gonzaga and Mark Few, and then do it to Tom Izzo and Michigan State. And by the way, two of those offenses, Michigan's wasn't, but two of our top ten offenses in America Yep, just, over, just humiliated them, embarrassed them. If you can do it to them, you can do it to Virginia. I've got um, – Give us a score. Texas Tech winning the game. 59-57. All right, so we both have the winning team with 59 points, not even cracking the 60-point barrier. Um, we'll, can't wait for this game. As we wrap the podcast, I have to note, you know, for so many years, Parrish was – he was resistant. Not defiant, but resistant about doing a podcast person-to-person. And we did the last one, got great response. Also want to say um, – I. I really appreciate I don't I don't say this to like be like, hey, people notice me. There were a lot of people that came up. I'm sure you got the same that said really love the podcast. Like that's that's genuinely appreciated uh, when you find Parrish and myself. We we are we are thankful that you listen and, and we thank you so much for all of that. So thank you and continue to listen when we get to the off season. But Parrish was resistant. Then he told me, you know what? It was such a great podcast in person. This dude took one live podcast to get really comfortable. You've done this whole freaking podcast. And you've been in socks. You don't even have your shoes on. And we're in a public place. What are you doing right now? And do you do this on airplanes? Do you want this story? Yeah. I'll have to give you this story. Pineapple socks, by the way. So in New York last week, one night or one morning, it's dark in my room. I'm going to take my shoes off as you tell Please, the story. Please, you should. Okay. And I've got my radio equipment in my room, and it comes in this hard case. And the hard case was lying in the floor, open. And I stepped on the edge of it. And when I stepped on the edge of it, the hard case then came up on my leg. That's the worst. And oh, that's the worst. And it did that oh, to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it did that to me. Oh, God. I'm wounded. Oh, that's. Do I look like a war hero? Oh! Do I look like a war hero? Uh, no. You... <laughs> Describe oh, me as a war hero who also got... happens to host a podcast. Got... Oh, man. It hurt. That is a gashed, scabbed over. That is no exaggeration. That's got to be two inches long. That's what she said. That is, that is brutal. Okay. The puppies are barking, by the way. Anyway, continue. So, I um, my dress shoes for today, because, you know, uh, on, on network, we don't get to just wear jeans. We have to actually have a full suit on in case we're doing stand-ups, not behind the desk. Mm. So, then you have to wear dress shoes as well. And my dress shoes that I wear with my um, blue suits, they have a high heel. On the back. You've worn high heels for a long time, I know. Not, not, okay, perhaps that's not what I meant. It climbs. The shoe, okay. the shoe comes up the top, the back of my leg, and it rubs that. Every step I take is painful. And so as soon as we got off set, much like Swing Cash might do with her actual high heels, I took my shoes off, and I've just been walking around with no shoes on the rest of the day. <laughs> hurts. scheduled to go to dinner tonight, and I have no hurts idea what so to bad. Expect. You can't take your shoes off at dinner. No, no, no. I will wear. I know, I'll I know. wear my King Push shoes to dinner. Okay. King Push, King Pin Overlord. Sat next to someone in an airplane, they take off the shoes. Yes, it's it's gross. And how ridiculous. do people listen? We got to wrap this up. We got to get out of here. But how do like I don't understand how people 
can remotely think that is socially acceptable. Why and it's mean? it's not like, oh, that happened one no. If you if you fly frequently, it is a regular occurrence. You'll and if it. you are a podcast listener that does this, you disgust me. You're a plague on society and you need to reconsider everything. Have respect for people next to you on the airplane. You don't take your shoes off. No. And also don't wear tank tops. <laughs> and don't wear flip flops. And I'm I'm pro flip flop guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up in Mississippi. We wear flip flops. Can't wear it on a plane. Can't I don't do want to see your feet on a plane. Can't do it. You're, you're in no tank tops. Can't like you don't want somebody's bare arms next to you. We're trying to live in a society. You know, like if you happen to fly coach like a peasant, then you might actually end up touching another person's arm. And you don't want to touch another man's arm, do you? I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'll touch your arm right now. This is live podcast. Let me touch your arm. Oh, wow, yeah, look yeah. at that. Yeah, but yeah. see, I don't, yeah. felt a little gr- I don't, uh, really, don't want to do it all. Visceral right now. Visceral so here's experience. what we're doing. So the plan is I do think the podcast can be more comfortable when they're in person because we can actually interrupt each other and hear each other while Love we're it. doing it. It's amazing. Um, Let's just talk over each other right now. You might. This is just incredible. This is incredible. To be able to talk oh, on top of each other so much is easier. something that for whatever reason, and please, by the way, if you are a podcast expert <laughs> and you know a way we could record with him in Connecticut. When I'm it, talking like this. And and he's talking like that. And I, we can hear each other. Each other's sentences. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I like to interrupt a lot. And it make, it's very difficult Shut to interrupt up. when we're not in the same room. So until we figure out this technology, I think the solution is you're going to have to move to Mississippi. I'm not moving to Mississippi. <laughs> you need to come you're to Mississippi. You're closer to me more often than I'm closer to you. Then you'll have to come to Midtown Manhattan three times a week. <laughs> It doesn't seem practical, but we'll try and make it happen. But anyway, the point is, when we are in the same quarters, we're gonna. This is just. This is just so much better. It just is. I'm so. dreading this walk back to the hotel. Well, you're gonna walk without your shoes. I'm gonna just walk you're barefoot walk through the down streets. The streets of Minneapolis, or through the skyways in those navy the, blue. The socks. skyways are impossible, by the way. Oh, I, I made it. I, I did it earlier today. Somebody, somebody, somebody said to us the other day because it was raining. They said to me and Brent Stover, they said, "Yeah, you can get all the way back to your hotel from the IDS Center uh, without just in the Skyway." And I said, uh, "Okay, that sounds like a great idea." And they said, "Okay, I said, well, what do you do?" And they said, "You just walk this way and you just keep going straight. You will be, um, you'll, you'll feel the urge to turn at some point, but don't. Just stay straight." I said, "Okay, cool. We're gonna stay straight." Impossible. Could not have been more lost. It got to the point we like ran up on a Nordstrom's, and I was like, "Let's just go. To, let's just like, let's just set up shop here and call it a day. Like we'll never get back to our hotel. <laughs> we might just have to stay here. It's impossible. We had to leave the Skyway to get back on real actual roads so we could figure out how to get to our hotel. Not even remotely surprised. The Skyway is impossible. I mean, it's nice, but impossible. Well, you've got no sense of direction. You're like a child that wanders into a movie theater. It was Brent and I both. Neither one, we both we both almost gave up. We were just we were like maybe we should just sit down here for a little while, relax. Not not ideal. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, like Norlander's already told you, subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to. Get the uh, next available episode as quickly as possible. So you guys do that, and we will talk to you again. When do you think, Norlander? Uh, that's a great question. It's either got to be after Monday night's title game or Tuesday after we get home. It will be as soon. Know this. We will get that episode to you as soon as, as it is logistically and realistically possible because we know you guys want to wrap up the season. We want to do it for you as well. Trust me. Nobody wants to wrap up the season more than I do. I may be our wives. I cannot wait to wrap up this season. <laughs> we'll talk to you after the title game. Hopefully, you get a great one. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye bye.